0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Solo Powered with me, Ariana Dunn. This is a podcast series that celebrates doing things solo. Remember, this is not about living a lonely life. It's about living the most full life on your terms. On this episode, we're going to have a really exciting guest, Kelly Shatter, who's going to come on and talk to us about her varied career across theatre Improv, And Kelly has just written and starred in her own one-woman play called The Scratcher. Before we we start talking to Kelly, I just thought I'd talk about how the world of theatre is a really good first step for anyone out there who's thinking about exploring some... Solo pursuits of passion. I know many of you listening to this podcast might have found it because you're already a solower, you already do things on your own. But for many, it might be your first experience wanting to step out into this solo into solo pursuits. Maybe you've just come out of a long-term relationship, maybe some of your friends have uh, got married, moved on, done different things or maybe you're just curious about what it is like to do things solo. You might have listened to our solo travel podcast and thought that was something that you would like to do but maybe you're a bit afraid about what it might feel like to do things on your own. So my recommendation is always just to start off slowly If you want to go away for uh, a solo travel, maybe while you're at home in your hometown, go on a couple of nights out on your own. Some really great places to do that is going to a restaurant, eating on your own, seeing how that feels. Maybe going to the cinema on your own. But also a really great thing to do is to go to the theatre. There's always really interesting shows, varied shows. And the theatre set, the people who go to the theatres, are always really interesting, cool, open, welcoming people. Um, And it's a really good place to be able to sort of blend in to the crowd, um, enjoy the night, maybe have a a drink or two. And the theatre usually ends at a reasonable time, so you you can get home pretty early. We'll chat more to Kelly about why that might be a really good first step if you're thinking about doing things so. Oh but now, just want to introduce you to the wonderful Kelly Shatter. Kelly is a writer, an actor, a comedian. She has her own business, Stoke Improv, which I'm excited to hear more about as well. She's also recently just become a life coach, and Kelly has just starred and um, starred in her own one woman play called The Scratcher as part of the Scene and Heard Festival in Smock Alley Theatre. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you, Ariana. Wonderful <laughs> to be here. Um, Um, Kelly and I are also really good friends. We actually met five six years ago now I think it's eight <gasps> Covid takes away two years <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right we actually met um while we were both on solo travel journeys in the south of France we went I went to a rider's retreat for two months and lived in a beautiful little rose cottage and I had this wonderful Irish girl called Kelly who came and joined and lived with me for a week so um going on riders' retreats tell us a little bit about that Kelly or maybe just talk to us first actually before we kick into that just about yourself and your background and maybe tell us a little bit more about 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 your career today.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I find that it's hard to kind of attach myself to one medium, but I think of myself as an artist, a creator, and kind of ultimately a storyteller. Um, I've been interested in the arts from a really young age. I think I was. Studying—it's probably too strong a word—but from the age of eight, I was I was so nerdy and passionate about it that I was studying theatre <laughs> from the age of eight, um, and then I was kind of the drama person in school and studied it in college. And it was only in college I started to get really excited about being on the other side and, and writing the stories and devising the stories. Um, but yeah, it, and that's why I. I, uh, I do the things of writing, performing, directing, producing. It really is whatever it takes to ta- to tell the story that happens to kind of land in my head mm. at whatever given time. Mm. Um, but writing is the thing that I would say is is at least seven, 70% of, of my focus these days.
0: Okay. And writing itself can be such a solo uh, uh, you know journey uh, people often talk about you know writing being such a, solo, a a lonely endeavor sometimes sitting down at the computer um talk to us about the about the retreat and the, the retreats that you've kind of done and and maybe how you might kind of kill that myth of it being <laughs> a lonely endeavor or, or what do you think about that yeah i think um i don't i don't think it's
1: an empty myth i think there is some truth in it um and i think a really lovely counter to point to that is a retreat mm. because it's a beautiful like for me the best way to create work and the best way to write is to be together alone mm-hmm, yeah <laughs> so to be in a room like for example in Muse in France where we went uh there was this beautiful room in the main house that actually i feel like we didn't go to that often because we had this beautiful little terrace that we would write in together often but separately and that for me is the ideal where i'm around other people but i'm very much in my own space and that's when it feels probably the the least lonely it's why i love writing in cafes um and i think sometimes it's it's essential though to just sit with the loneliness and to sit with uh, not having people around so you can kind of tap into all the things that you need to tap into and for me sometimes it's a really cathartic experience I might be writing as I'm sobbing crying <laughs> or write sometimes because of my comedy background I'm writing and I'm speaking out the characters yes. sometimes it's just not appropriate to be in a cafe <laughs> <laughs> indulging I remember one time at, uh, a play I wrote back in 2015. I co-wrote it with Camille Lucy Ross, called Big Bobby Little Bobby, but it was all about releasing and connecting to your inner demons. And I remember this one part where I was writing kind of the darkest most cathartic moment in the play and being in New York and I was just visiting but I was sharing a flat with my friend who was a poet and she'd gone out and I had I had drunk like a glass of wine <laughs> and I was sobbing crying and just looking out at it New York and it felt like this kind of wonderful cliche. <laughs>
0: <laughs> your writer your absolute writer moment of uh, just to <laughs> you pour yourself a whiskey or anything like that? <laughs> I, when I, I said wine honestly I was lying I don't remember what I was drinking. I didn't want to like agonize over what it was for ages. <laughs> 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 um, brilliant yeah I mean look you know like I say it, writing is a, is, a, is a very solo you have to pour your heart out onto an empty page and mm. really start from the beginning and there is a confidence that needs to come with being able to create something and pour your heart out into that as well and um, you've been to some other retreats as well like Anna McCarrig you mentioned yeah Anna
1: McCarrig uh, also called the Tyrone Guthrie Centre uh, so basically the Tyrone, Tyrone Guthrie Centre at Atna it's in Monaghan and it's very, very beautiful. And you apply and once you apply, if you if you get accepted in, you basically can always go back. But there is an application system. They want to take people um who are professional artists in whatever capacity. They don't they don't state that you have to be working full time. It doesn't have to be how you earn your living mm. but ideally that's your a professional practice. And yeah, it's very special. Everyone raves about the food. It's kind of the thing people mention first. And there's a reason for that. (laughs) You feel so nourished. The food is amazing. So you take your break and there's always like freshly baked uh, scones and muffins waiting for you. And then you have dinner all together at seven. Like I think it's like 7 p.m. every night. It's essential that if if you're staying in the main house, it's actually obligatory that you have dinner together because the ethos is that they don't want you completely isolated. They mm. want you to have those conversations about the work and, and and art and sharing stories. And the magic about it is, it's a very magical place, but I've, every, I've only been there twice, but I've always found that if you're a little bit stuck, you'll go for a little walk, you'll meet someone and something that they say will lead you to, they'll recommend a book, they'll lead you to a book, that book will be the missing link, mm. or at night, that in, at dinner a conversation will arise that suddenly something lands and you know where to go next. So that kind of, that contrast of spending the day on your own, but then little breaks where you really connect with people Mm -hmm. and you connect on a very deep (coughs) level because everyone's there kind of ripping themselves open. So it's a really beautiful, nourishing, caring environment where everyone's very gentle with everyone else's vulnerability, I guess.
0: And that's the thing, you know, when we talk about Doing things on your own, being being a solo traveler, taking a journey like that to a retreat by yourself, people might be a little bit afraid about that, afraid about that, or you know, what kind of people will you meet, or will you be, you know, will you be be lonely? But actually, it's entirely the opposite of that, and that's what we've experienced. That you go and you meet these incredible people, these incredible like minded people, and the really great thing about being a soloer is that you find your fellow tribe of solo people. I think something that we've mm-hmm. talked about that before, and I think you know, you and I. I've become great friends from that. But we've, I've maintained friendships with so many of the, the, the people that I've met who all came there on their own um, and left with a group of incredible people that they will be able to have in their lives for years to come, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really beautiful thing like that. Um, okay, so so just to... to you talked about your, your your background, how you kind of got into theatre. Maybe talk to us a little bit about what you said, you know, in terms of being a performer, a storyteller. Break that down a little bit for us, maybe.
1: Well... So for me, starting to, I, I, I study, I'm saying studied again, <laughs> I, I did acting classes as an eight year old. But I was a really shy kid. And actually, just to speak to your your point yeah. about going to these places and, and being afraid, I always, I'm naturally an introvert, hmm. even though I present probably more extroverted. So I always have felt a fear of meeting other people and being in a crowd of strangers I always have hesitancy it never feels like a comfortable thing to do but I never regret putting myself out Mm. there and doing it Um, but yeah so I think I I was uh, sent by my parents to do this to help with uh, my shyness and actually what it did for me up until I started doing improv it was both a, a blessing and a curse because it allowed me in many ways to like put on a mask mm. of I, I always got to choose like how do I want to be perceived who am I in this moment and that the beauty of that was I was able to to navigate social situations and my life in a way that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise but the flip side of that was I probably was navigating to a point of of not actually being always authentic, you know, pretending I was Mm. fine when I wasn't in certain Mm. situations and all of that. Um, But what improv did as a performer was it kind of stripped all of that back and you're, there's nothing, I remember one of my teachers saying, actually I probably should just go into a little bit when I'm talking about improv, what that is. (coughs) So... In 2012, I went to the states to study something called long form improvisation, um, which most people have heard of. Short form, which is basically "whose line is it anyway," yeah. um, but this is more: you perform a full show, a full length show, um, with a group of bet- between one to six other people, and it's almost always comedic. Not a, not kind of exclusively, but almost always comedic. And I remember one of my teachers in the states saying that, I mean. I don't necessarily know that I agree with this, but it's one of the purest art forms because there's nothing between you and the thing. Like with dance, there's a choreography. With writing, there's a script. With you know, there's always with acting, there's a script. There's always something else. But with improv, it is just you. You're really laid bare. Yeah. And through through training in that and, and having performed it for the last ten years, eleven years now, I guess. Um, it really encourages you to show up as your most authentic self and to not have any masks. Mm. Not that I'm like completely free (laughs) of masks where none of us are. But I think that that was the kind of the shift in performance for me with between imp- acting to improv yeah
0: well I mean let's let's dig into that then because I think again you know this podcast hopefully will inspire people to to do things on their own and I think again a big part of that comes with confidence and comes with being able to kind of you know enter into a new enter into a room full of strangers or you know do whatever it is that you want to do to put yourself out there I was lucky enough to do a couple of your improv classes through Stoke and I think you know as you've said it's an incredible incredible way to build confidence and an incredible way to kind of just be yourself and put yourself out there. So maybe talk to us a little bit about Stoke Improv and the kind of the classes that you teach if anyone's interested in maybe exploring that. Yeah, I
1: think so of, of all of the things that I do, I have the most confidence in myself as a teacher. I've been doing it probably, um, well, not the longest, but for me, it combines directing with teaching, with really listening to what people's needs are. Um, and I've been doing it so, for, for over 20 years. Um, and so when people say to me, sometimes I'm chatting to people and I tell them about improv and they say I could never do that. Mm. And my confidence around it is such that I know that if they came to one of my classes, mm. they could do it. Mm. Because if they are speaking to me, they can improvise. Yeah. Because life is, <clears throat> we're making it up. We don't know what we're going to say next in life. And, and that's kind of what I, I very gently, one step at a time, show people that if they can have conversations in life they, they can improvise mm. um, and uh, obviously there's ways that if for some reason you couldn't speak you could still improvise you can communicate non-verbally um, so yeah I, I think the the way I bring people along is really to speak to what you said up top really slowly one step at a time so often ideally people don't even realize oh now I'm improvising <laughs> we just we start to play some games and again I, I think I think I would like to believe that I've got the skill set now to know what people's comfort levels are and always just be slightly leaning them um, towards the outside of their comfort zone level. But again, very incrementally. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, 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 one of, I had um, the last class of one of my um, advanced groups last night. And one of the things that we were talking about, which for me is the most beautiful thing about improv, is that you you play but with adults and when we're kids we play and we don't necessarily have the conversation of how many brothers and sisters do you have where do you live they just play and they get to know each other's essence very quickly mm. and I see that with improv I see that with groups I see people form friendships really quickly because they're playing together in a way that kind of bypasses all the adult bullshit sometimes Mm -hmm. and just gets to the core of who people are and so it's this very powerful very joyful thing where people get to kind of connect to the part of themselves that needs to play I think it's a requirement and urgency that it's something that hopefully more and more people will understand Mm. how we still have that part of ourselves that needs to just play for the sake of play and not with any um outer focus productivity in mind mm. getting anywhere you know mm. we're so focused as a society in the western world especially of like getting to the next thing but in improv, it's just for the joy of it, mm. which is really beautiful.
0: And it, it is, it's a very cathartic thing as well, I suppose, because, you know, as as people may be saying to you, I could never do that, or when they walk first into your, your, your you know, your classes, and they might be really worried and trepidatious. But the beautiful thing is that everybody there is being silly. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's like a, just <laughs> be silly, like just, you know, a flag and wave yourself around and you know like speak gibberish and you know there's all of these different things that kind of like the warm-up exercises that you do and it's so alien as an adult to do those things mm-hmm. that you suddenly start doing them and seeing actually it does quite come, come quite naturally but at looking around at everybody else everybody's doing the same thing so nobody's judgmental nobody's kind of like questioning what you're doing or why you're doing it because really anything goes right so you can do whatever you want to do and you have this freedom um freedom within that is isn't it? it's it's very freeing would you agree
1: yeah absolutely and you know you it's it's so important to kind of tap into the people feeling free to express whatever whatever comes into their head really the only thing that I manage is people's safety so emotional safety mm. physical safety mm. and that as long as everyone feels safe mm. then anything goes mm. and then it's all it's just up to me as a teacher to gently guide to what might be a more a playful approach or approach that will lead to more fun or more comedy. Hmm. But that's my my job and the job of the um, students is to, to just, yeah, to kind of put themselves in a place of trust and, yes. and allowing themselves to ideally be in the moment to yeah. feel free
0: and that really sums up kind of like what I hope that the essence of this podcast is you know is to allow people the, the opportunity to feel free to be in the moment and to you know put themselves out there and um, since you know started doing this I've talked to like lots of different people men and women and you know I know a lot of you know people are afraid to like go to the gym on their own for the first time they might be sort of in this rush and they want to get healthy and they want to eat better and they feel like they want to go to the gym gym, but they don't want to go into the gym on their own because they're worried about what people were going to think or people are going to look at them or, you know, what are they doing or they don't know, you know, that kind of thing. So this is why something like doing something like improv is a really great way of really just removing all of those kind of barriers from yourself so that you are free to do more things that, you know, overcoming those kind of like initial fears that you might have, putting yourself into those situations in, 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 in an improv setting, you really kind of like become brave. <laughs> to yeah. do lots of other things
1: yeah and again that idea of can you break it down into smaller steps if the idea of doing an eight-week class is just outlandish to you can you go to a show because it's such friendly environment inevitably you'll talk <coughs> to someone who is also thinking of doing it and then you could go to one drop in together it's just kind of breaking it down and mm. I, I actually really relate to the gym thing i've started to go recently but it took me like two months to actually go into the weights area mm. i really build up to it because it does feel quite intimidating <laughs> i'm pretty sure i was doing it wrong <laughs> just kind of walked in front of everyone who was staring at the mirror i'm not sure you're meant
0: to do that <laughs> but i think what's the, the thing you know me i'm i'm doing this mma journey at the moment and i had walked into an M- mma gym had never done that before but you you know nobody's looking at you like you know, everyone's just focused on themselves, focused on their own movements, you know. And like, really, that's what all of this is—is is about focusing on yourself, focusing on what you bring, what your your presence, what you're doing, instead of worrying about what other people or what other people are thinking, you know. Um. So yeah, what you were saying there, and I think I, I said it at the top of the at the top of the podcast, just in terms of like that first step of maybe going to a theater production on your own. Um, I have been to some of your uh, graduate. Uh, theatre nights when your improv guys graduate and I've also been to some of your um histrionics, uh improv nights that have just been incredible and there is like I have so much admiration for seeing people perform improv because like they are it seems like there's genius taking place on the stage <laughs> like you just don't quite know how they are able to be so funny and so like part of what is actually happening on stage but it's all just happening in the moment and it's uh, it's 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 incredible so yeah talk to us about kind of what I was saying about it being a really good first step in terms of going to the theatre and the theatre crowds in terms of the welcoming atmosphere that might be there
1: yeah uh, well I really can speak more to going to improv shows just because that is yeah. definitely more where I go these days I definitely go to theatre as well and um, it's a different experience for me because I I would know lots of people in the community. So for me, my thing is mostly, will I know the name of this person that I bump into (laughs) from 10 years ago? Um, But I think in general, uh, to go to these things on your own, again, you can kind of put yourself out there as much or as little as you want. So you could go the first time and hang to the back, leave immediately after, then the next time, maybe go a little bit further to the front, Who knows, there's probably people who are more connected to the community or more involved closer to the front. Next time you could stay and have a drink after. Again, after these shows, there's always a sense of kind of sociability and community. Mm. Um, So easing yourself into these if you do, if you are looking to make connections, if you're not and you just want to go see a show, I think theatre is, especially theatre, is amazing for that mm. because you get to be, again, it's that together alone thing. Yeah. You get to have this beautiful exchange of uh, energies with the actors. You're surrounded by people, but you don't have to interact with anyone yeah. and you get to leave after. Yeah. And I, I do love it. It's actually one of the reasons why I love going to the cinema on my own so yeah. much.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, speaking of the theatre then, tell us about The Scratcher, um, your recent one-woman play that you performed in Smock Alley. And obviously this podcast is all about doing things solo. We've, we've, we've touched on some of that already, of course. But a one-woman play, a one-man play, you can't get any more solo than that <laughs> in terms of being on stage. So yeah, tell us about The Scratcher and your involvement in other one-woman or one-man plays.
1: Yeah, well, I just, because I've been doing improv for so long, and I've, I've been writing collaboratively for years that about three or four years ago, there was just this little niggle to start writing on my own, even though I didn't, it didn't feel like a very fun thing to do, but I felt like I was drawn to find what my voice was when it wasn't combined with other creative voices as much as I love that as an experience. And so I've been working away at my own projects, um, but I I've very much struggled to kind of get things up on their feet without an exterior deadline. Me and I think almost every (coughs) other writer, it's very hard without an exterior deadline to kind of get to a place of it being done and out to the world. Um, So the AXIS Arts Centre, which are a a beautiful organisation in Ballymun, um, had a bursary called AXIS Assemble. And so I applied for that um, with the idea of the scratcher. But really, at the time, all I had was... A one-woman show about a woman addicted to scratch cards. I had nothing else, and um, wonderfully, I got I got in, and the bursary was just a, a, such a gorgeous experience. You get to work with a dramaturg, and um, so that basically means someone. Uh, her name is Eva Spillan Hinks, is also a very good friend of mine. She's a genius, and you <laughs> you get to work uh, with her on elements of your play. I'm laughing because. I didn't really have much, but I so much wanted to work with her that I would come to her having kind of written almost nonsense. And then she would very kindly <laughs> try and, you know, ask questions about this nonsense that I'd written. But what, why that was so powerful was I was afforded, I think, a six or nine month period of time where I was allowed to just Purge whatever was going on in my head almost every day. It was a very freeing experience because it was a very there was a soft deadline at the end of this bursary where we could share something if we wanted, but we didn't have to. Um, and so that that purging of this something in me, the idea, I knew I wanted to write about addiction, and I knew I wanted to write about an addiction that could be somewhat everyday relatable um but within that that was kind of the end point I would just write whatever was in my head every day um and at the end of the nine months I just took there was like one page that felt like it was something along the lines of what this story would be and I threw everything else out Um, and that's kind of what you do as a writer mostly you you mostly throw everything out I think it's usually like an 80-20 where 80 percent goes and 20 percent stays um and after my birth, after the access assemble, um, it was just the perfect timing. Seen and heard were open for applications, um, so yeah, I just continued to develop it, and um, it's felt like a very personal story, um, and even though it wasn't, I'm not addicted to scratch cards. <laughs> um, and it was funny, a few people afterwards that know me quite well came up and kind of side-eyed me and like, I didn't realize you had the... Uh. Um, but I, uh, I can relate to an, addict, an addictive personality. I can relate to addictive tendencies for sure. And addiction runs in my family. And it's just something that I think as a society, we need to get better at destigmatizing. Um So I wanted to write a story that showed... Addiction is very normal. Mm. Um.
0: So obviously, for uh, people who who haven't seen it, I was lucky to, to see it. So the the show, the scratcher, this one woman character is called Nick, and she is addicted to, to, to scratch cards. And um, maybe tell us a little bit more about the the premise of. The oh show. yes, sorry, you wanted to know about the premise, <laughs> and I told you all about my deep cathartic process. <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> My bad. <laughs>
1: do you want to hear more about my purging? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's about... Um, Nicole. So Nicole like, yeah. in her mid-30s who has just started dating a woman and that's really throwing her. She's She feels like she's a teenager again and not necessarily in a giddy teenager way in a, in a way that she doesn't know what to do and she doesn't know how to be intimate with a woman she doesn't know how to be romantic with a woman but she knows that she really likes slash is falling in love with her her girlfriend Eve and uh this basically reignites an addiction that she has managed to kind of put a lid on um she well, she was addicted to um going to poker nights and uh, a friend buys her a scratch card and that just kind of it, it, it aligns with this new relationship, and it just um, exasperates. Exasperates. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> I'm a writer; I know words. Um, and so it's dark. It's dark. It's comedic. It, the journey is. It's. This is the first. Not we meet her on the the night she's going to meet her girlfriend's best friends, who are called the Heart Sisters. Um, and as the play as it as it unfolds, we can really see that she's quite negative and critical to all the people in her life but we really see as the play unfolds that it's her own lens that these are actually good people mm. um her girlfriend is practically perfect which is very difficult for her because she feels so flawed um and uh she ends believing the party um to go and in, in search of scratch cards and the play as the play unfolds things get um, way worse before they
0: get better. It's just so interesting hearing you sort of talk about it there when you talk about Nick and Eve and the Hart sisters and the petrol station woman. And I very much have a, a, a very clear image in my head of all of these characters, of all of the places where they were. And yet, when I think back, it was literally just you on a stage with, you know, quite dark lighting, just one sort of spotlight on you. Um, and yet you managed to create an entire, not just scene, but several scenes with several characters that are very real to me. I'm sure they're very real to you, but they're very real to me when even as we're sitting here talking to them. But it was literally just you. And it was a, it was an incredible thing to see. I'd never been to a one woman play before. Um, what is it do you think are the key ingredients that, that really make a successful one woman or one man play. I know we'll talk about monoscenes in, in a minute, which is a, an, another part of what you do with teaching people how to actually write one man and one man plays, right? So mm-hmm. what do you think makes it so important in terms of actually pulling it off?
1: Um, I think it's very unique to each particular person. I suppose that's probably the main thing, is that the person who's writing the show is... Allowing themselves to to be as authentic to where they are in their current experience, um, and marry that to the to the project they're wanting to to make. So in the work that I was doing, where I was um, helping or guiding other people towards uh, creating their own one person show, what we found was the blocks where when people weren't actually allowing who they were at the time to, to be the full, um, the full essence of the story they were writing. Like they wanted it to be someone they were in the past or someone they hope to be, but really you have to bring so much of who you are into it. And I think that's, um, I think that's probably what makes, what either lands it or what doesn't land it. Um, the, the amount of yourself that you can bring to the project.
0: How brave do you need to be to, to do a, 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 thank you for saying one person play, because I couldn't get my head around that. I kept saying one woman, one man, slash one man, one person. Thank you. One they, let's bring it all in. So yeah, yes, yeah. one person play. Um, how brave do you do you need to be to stand there and, and, and be so much of, bringing so much of yourself? Um, well, virtuous. to speak to my own experience, it, the the
1: fear and the bravery was in the writing of it and in the Thinking about putting myself out there, um, and that was for me where the work was done. Where I've, I'm recently, I've recently gotten into tapping meditation, which is incredibly powerful. Where you're actually able to like release the fear. I did a lot of work on. Um, I think I did an eight day challenge of "I am not enough," uh, where you flip that. So you, if you can come to a, a point where you feel like you are enough, regardless of how it's received. You were enough, regardless of of um, the end point. That for me, the run up was really the fear part. When I was standing on the st- like on the side of the stage before going on, I felt like I was exactly where I needed to be. And when I walked on stage, I felt like actually I haven't I haven't shared this with many people. But when I came out, there's a kind of a, a like almost a dance sequence up top the first night I felt this incredible electricity all up my body. Yeah. And it was, it was like, I never had that experience before. And it was actually like, it was hard to kind of focus back and remember where I was. Um, so I think that often, and I know this to, with other performers, that the fear is in thinking about it. Mm. Um, but when you're actually up there, mm. um you don't feel alone because you're not you're with the audience I and mean, I can't speak to everyone but it's you know a completely personal thing but and the other thing I would say is to the to that question um I heard this recently I, I don't know if it's a quote from someone I just saw it on tiktok
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> of course it's like new wikipedia yeah <laughs> But
1: um, when the pain of staying where you are is greater than the pain of moving mm. forward. Mm. And for me, the pain is too strong a word, but it really felt like it was time for me to put myself out there to come back to theatre because I left it for so long and um, to come back to being to having a script. And, and uh, that for me was the driving force that it was so I was so very ready to do it that even though I was absolutely terrified. Mm. So I think a readiness really feeds into whether you're, you're going to take on mm. what you need to take on in terms of what it might, come, what might bring up for you.
0: And you you directed Big Bobby Little Bobby, right? Which yes. is also a one one woman play. A yes. one person play. Um so tell us then about Mono Scenes. If anyone's listening and thinking that they have a one person play in them, what what could they potentially do with yeah,
1: that? Yeah, so that's uh, the the show is actually called the one person show of course is actually called solo show.
0: Okay. And monocenes sh- is
1: no, not at all. Um solo show, perfect. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that that's that works. Why were we using that all along?
0: <laughs> um so, wait, what was your question? I'm so sorry. <laughs> so just tell me if, if someone is thinking oh, about wanting to maybe oh yeah. write. How, yeah, yeah what, what is that? Yeah. course.
1: So yeah, uh, what what I say up top and I want to make really clear to people is this is not a course where I will teach you the structures of writing. I, what I will do is I will free you to find your own path. And um, so it really is, I use a lot of the, the techniques I learned through um training with this amazing trainer called ariana dunn in life in mindstream but yeah i use a lot of those coaching techniques and i I marry them with my experience of um my improv experience and helping people release their blocks so we do a lot of exercises to help people tap into the stories they want to tell and um, so people, some people came with absolutely nothing. Some people came with an idea they wanted to write. And it's just, um, I'm like um, a, a, a solo play doula almost. Lovely. Like I'm I'm a guiding force. Um, I've, I've done writing classes where you're given, you know, a very clear structure of what it is you're going to work on. And I love that. I think it's essential and it has its place. But for me, it felt like um, there was... A niche in the market there where you you really help people tap into their own um storyteller wisdom because i think inherently as humans we are all naturally storytellers so uh, the way this course works is that i help people tap into their own understanding of what a story is and how to tell that
0: brilliant so that's called solo show and then mono scenes is the night that you put on for people to perform parts of their
1: Mon- no, Monocenes is an advanced improv course okay.
0: where it's actually a, an improvised one act play an improvised one act yeah. play. Okay. Yeah. okay okay brilliant yeah and um, and yeah I suppose you touched on the coaching there so obviously um I teach coaching I'm a coach we recently graduated uh with a diploma in coaching from the the mainstream um and I think you know one of the things you talked about earlier on was having to kind of know yourself um and you know bring that to the stage. Um and so I think, you know, if anyone's listened to this and maybe they don't know themselves, maybe coaching, and maybe we can have a little chat about just about coaching, about how coaching might be able to help a person to understand themselves better again mm. as maybe a first step for something like that. What have you found in terms of, of the work that you've done in that area?
1: Yeah, well I found for me it's it's been instrumental uh, as a writer in freeing me up uh to do the work and the thing that I got most out of coaching was you start to be able to attach where these, where what limiting beliefs are holding you back. Mm. Um, and I had a belief around writing that I had to write in order to make something wonderful, in order to achieve what I needed to achieve to be the person that I thought I had to be. Mm. But all of that was completely backwards. And in doing a very simple, maybe 10 minute but very deep exercise on shifting beliefs, I realised that I write who I am at my core is I write because I'm a storyteller and I write because I'm expressing what I have inside out and it's just a part of who I am and what makes me tick and that that shift freed me to write all of the time because I know now that it's not about being good, it's about being free and Mm. it's about expressing myself and that supposedly small shift has completely changed my relationship with myself as an artist as well. Um, So, yeah, I think that's that's like an example of how it can be so powerful. Mm. Um, But also, I was working peer-to-peer with a coach in the course, um, and she's very kindly, very generously, has offered to keep on connecting in with me. So just to have another person for accountability, Mm. that when I say I'm going to set up... A focus, uh, uh, not a focus group, but set up a, a group that I'm going to read some of my work to. She'll check in and say, "Have you set up that group yet?" Mm-hmm. And just that kind of point-to-point accountability is is huge. Mm, brilliant. Mm.
0: Thank you so much. We've got to wrap up, I think. Um, but uh, it's been absolutely amazing. It's so interesting to hear all of the different facets of how being a were, whether that's being a writer whether that's being a performer whether that's doing a, you know going and attending the theatre on your own or maybe thinking about doing improv to help you with your bravery and with your confidence and even maybe thinking about exploring the idea of writing uh, and starring in a one-person play so where can people find you kelly yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at Ms. Kelly Shatter. I actually had Kelly Shatter, then accidentally
1: lost for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm Ms. Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y-S-H-A-T-T-E-R. And stokeimprov.com for improv. And kellyshatter.com for general um, storytelling, artistic work.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. It's been absolutely amazing and I'm sure many people will be inspired after listening to your incredible journey. Thank Thank you so so much. much. It's been a pleasure.